0: one-track run talk podcast bringing the forefront of
1: science and elite sport to you Hi guys and welcome to the OneTrek On Demand section. This is one of our run chats that we've put up and today's subject is immunity. We're talking about the immune system, what it is, what it isn't, and also how we can potentially boost or maybe control our immune responses when it comes to the winter training and how we can get ourselves to be fit and healthy without overcooking things. We spoke to Pete Williams who is a functional medicine specialist and founder of Functional Medicine Associates in central London. Enjoy, any questions, comments, please feel free to tap us up and uh, we look forward to hearing what you think. Uh, We've got a very special guest today who is Pete Williams, Functional Medicine Specialist with uh, the Functional Medicine Associates practice. what we have is a specialist here who is uh, very well respected in major circles of health, and we want to address his expertise and uh, and hopefully see if we can bring something to the forefront of the public view. Uh, I've known Pete for a while now. Uh, we trained together. He beat me up uh in in the gym a couple of times obviously very healthfully speaking uh but uh i've I've really respected his opinions and his thought process i think that's the biggest thing that we've we want to go through today is the thought process behind health because as we know there is a huge amount of um speculation and uh hopefully we can kind of give some context to that and and bust some myths so uh hi pete how you going good mate all good nice thanks yeah, not too bad, no, not too bad. Uh, we've got a special guest uh, presenter here as well, Andrea. Who Hello. Is, uh, head yeah. of our content at One Track. Hey, how you going? All good, um, mate. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, how are you guys? Yeah, all good. Um, so, uh, Pete, love to talk to you about one, just yourself. How did you, or one, what do you do? Who are you, and how did you get here?
0: Oh, oh God, well, very briefly, it's been a 30-year journey, um, Fletch, to get to this point. Um, Um, My original academic career was as as an exercise scientist. I've got a a couple of background degrees in exercise science. Um, Certainly my research degree um, uh, was really the application of exercise science more to chronic disease populations. Um, And that really got me interested more in in chronic disease populations rather than the the sports performance side. And and since then, I mean, God, that was was nice. (laughs) I finished those in the show my age now in ninety seven, uh, and really well, you're from twenty one. Well yeah, something <laughs> like that. Really, it's been a, um, uh, a, a another twenty year journey. Really, in understanding, and I suppose there's there's a couple of terms that people use, but systems medicine is probably the the easiest term. Some people suggest functional medicine, and and when people ask, "Well, what do you do?" I suppose we 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 tell them that we are. Um, certainly me and my group, we are specialists that have not been specialists, but we are the conductors of the orchestra, if you like, and, and we understand maybe how the dots are joined up better than most because the way we've been trained, certainly over the last 20 years, for me, I've been on a, a 20-year journey, postgraduate medical education journey, um, on understanding how all these systems fit together at any one time and what is the most appropriate medical strategy or health strategy that you you need to produce to, to, to look after someone. Um, and, and it's it's uh, certainly, it's been particularly interesting with COVID because um, there's been lots of um, really well-written um, papers and certainly looking at the limitations of how we couldn't really do medicine, almost like this medicine in sort of, in silos. It's that, you know, it's one pill for an ill. And I think what's clear is that um, we need a lot more joined up thinking. How does it all fit together? What, what um, is associated with something else? And what can we do about it? So so um, we have a uh, um, central London practice. There are four of us at the moment. We are um, qualified, the same, various different backgrounds. But we all have the Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner status. So currently, that's the, the if, if you like, um, that's the uh, number one. Um, sort of qualification worldwide currently for for people in this space who should be sort of knowing what they're doing so hopefully that uh, um, gives you a little bit more clarity on on, on me and my group
1: yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> so I think uh, I'll let Andrea kind of lead us into what we were wanting to talk about today but um, I'm just excited that's all well <laughs> um, so Pete Um, I guess, like, as we're
0: entering uh, the winter months and we're still in the middle of a pandemic, we're curious today to talk about the immune system and its relationship with running, specifically during winter. So I guess my my first question for you is, how does winter impact our immune system? Does our immune system get weaker during the cold weather? Uh, Well, I I, I think the, the best thing for us to do is is maybe sort of try and define what our immune system is, I think that's a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when we look at this, what we've got to consider is that each each one of us is going to have a a, almost like a a unique signature to their immune system. And, and and how the immune system works as we'll go on to do, to allude to but later on it will be quite important because people talk about how do we strengthen our immune system or how do we make our immune system stronger and actually for, for many people that's not what we want to do with the immune system so mm. it's almost like we want to calm it down and sort of regulate it a little bit more so i'll go on to explain that um, in a little bit more detail but if you like the easiest way to sort of um think about your immune system it's all your defense forces so it's your army navy it's your air force there might be some special forces in there um, and really specialized units but it, it is in a sense the the parts of your body that defend you from the outside world uh, and the outside world can be a pretty pretty horrible place most of the time and and so our immune system as you say it, 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 in 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 sort of very simplest terms, has two components to it. It has this innate immunity, which probably the easiest way to explain this is that it's almost like frontline soldiers. And then Mm. it has this acquired immunity, and this is really where it's learned from things. So um, vaccines would be a really good indication of how our immune system learns from things and remembers things. So when, if you like, COVID comes back, and hopefully, although we don't know yet, your immune, your, your your acquired immune system, the trained immune system, if you like, goes, oh yeah, I remember you, and I remember how I need to deal with you from from this side. So, in a sense, you've got two sides to it. But importantly, your immune system also is is defined by your physical borders, um, and the main physical border for us to think about is your gastrointestinal tract. So. I just want to give you a sort of basic bit of physiology because it's really important to understanding Mm -hmm. this is that your gas if we took fletch and basically pulled his gi tract from straight we'd be able to see basically a tube and that tube would go from his mouth right out out of his bottom and what we've learned on this the way this um the anatomy of the inside of this tube is it has these almost like shag pile carpet type looks to it. And these are called villi. And the villi are where most of our immune system is sitting. But also, it, 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 it looks like a shag pile carpet because it's where a lot of the where we break our food down and our body accepts our food and, and, and takes it inside. So my point about this is that your gastrointestinal tract is not in your body. But your gastrointestinal tract is, is the key barrier or border where your immune system sig- is getting signals consistently from the outside world. And all those signals are interacting with immune proteins, with probiotics, um, and they're all signaling to the body to say, is this safe or isn't this safe? And so, what, uh, and this is why you may have heard the term that 70% of our immune system resides within our gut, because the reality is our gut is, if you like, is the main battlefield daily where all the action happens. And when that physical border gets compromised for lots of reasons, then that's a major problem that increases your risk of uh, immune issues. Um, So again, physical borders are really important. Um, And again, this sort of frontline soldiers don't really think they just get stuck in um, and dependent on how well they get stuck in or how well they don't get stuck in is dependent on sometimes how people's immune systems can be, you know, some people say, I've got a terrible immune system. I always seem to catch, catch colds. And some people will say, God, you know, our mind seems to overreact. And so again, that's why it's important that when we start talking about immune system, that we talk about, you know, do we need to strengthen our immunity? Because for many people, and if we take COVID as an example, where COVID seems to, of course, be most problematic is in patients who in a sense have an overly aggressive immune system so what that means is that the frontline and second line soldiers are just too up for a fight and so we can so in, in certain with certain some of the patients in our practice We're already looking at the the genetics that predispose these people to have a slightly more aggressive immune system than normal. And what we're looking at with COVID is is, uh, where the problems seem to be is that you want your immune system to have an aggressive response to invaders. That's exactly what it should be doing. But then it's got to, at some stage, uh, once that sort of initial battle has been fought, someone's got to tell it to start calming down because if it continues to overfight, and no one's regulating it then we start to see all these more complicated issues um, and this is definitely one of the um, over complications that we've seen with covid is that the immune system has just been over aggressive loves too much of a scrap and that will be through many reasons usually they are genetically predisposed and if you put onto that an um, inappropriate lifestyle so maybe you're a little bit overweight or you know you're more susceptible to type 2 diabetes you're if you like amplifying the risk of why covid may be an issue for you what's very interested in covid as well that brings you back to understanding immunity is that what we're starting to see with covid is where the we talked about these barrier breaches and that can be gastrointestinal tract that can be in the or that can be in the mouth where these f- fundamental physical barriers are being compromised and we're seeing bacteria um, slipping from areas that they should be into areas where they shouldn't be. So let me give you a very good example and relate that to COVID. What we're seeing potentially the prob- problem with COVID, remember, it's not the virus that is the problem. The problem is how your immune system is cho- is choosing to react to the virus. Again, you'll have some people who immune system actually is doing too good a job. And that's where the problem resides because it's too much. Once to get into a scrap, too much. Too often, it's really good at scrapping, but it's not very good at turning itself off. And then you get this sort of amplification and ramp up of these pro-inflammatory cycles. And that's where certainly in COVID, we're certainly seeing some of the issues. But when we're also looking at um, the barrier breaches, we are definitely recognizing there's been some really interesting things. Um, actually, a couple of a couple of uh, dental groups in, in London are looking at Maybe the problem with COVID is not just the response to COVID, but the fact that when the immune system reacts, I think this is really important. The immune system reacts by it activates itself, but it kills, it, it defends you from from doing two things. Number one, it really increases inflammation and it increases oxidative stress. Now, you really need those processes because that's what kills things. But if those processes continue to happen too much, too intensively, too often, then you get all the systemic effects that we're seeing with COVID. But again, if I relate it to training per se, they are some of the things that also relate to stuff like when you do see a truly sort of overtraining syndrome with athletes, these are some of the complications that you would see. And when you get um, increased inflammation and oxidative stress too long for too often, you can start to see patients that um, start to show signs and symptoms of almost like a chronic fatigue state, which is sort of classically all intermingled with this sort of overtraining syndrome. So let me just be clear about your immune system. Your immune system's job is to kill things, it's to regulate things, is to understand what should be friend and what should be foe. When you have an immune system, again, so when we want to strengthen our immune system, that might be the wrong terminology, because for many people, you don't want to give it any more strength. It's already Mm -hmm. overly aggressive. What you might want to be doing is, is do what we're trying to balance the immune system. So I'm going to give you the analogy is that what you want is you want the 50 year old super experienced bouncer on the door of the nightclub. He's been he's seen it all before. He knows that the 20-year-old students who are outside causing a bit of trouble are just because they've had a bit too much to drink and it's their first term and they're away from college and they're not going to be a problem. Now, you put the 22-year-old bouncer on the door and he's starting to look at that with less experience going, right, okay, let's get into it, let's have a fight. So that's not what we, not what we want long term. We want the experience balances. So, so with many patients that we deal, we're, tr- we're trying to do what we call immunoregulation. We want the immune system to, to be balanced. We absolutely want it primed for the fight, but we, we want to know when it's time to turn off and we want to make sure that it's only really getting excited when there are real troublemakers outside. So that's sort of giving you an understanding. And if I take you back to COVID, we talked about these uh, physical barrier compromises. And and, and this can actually leak into some of the terminology that you might have heard, something like a leaky gut. And so just, again, it was poo-poo 20 years ago, and now there's literally thousands and thousands of GI papers talking about what happened when the gut becomes more permeable. The thing you want to think about with the gut is that it is that main, if you like, um, it is that main And castle wall that is protecting you, and so you want your immune system, your immune soldiers, to recognise who they want to come through, and who they don't want to come through. Now, if you're going to have something like leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability, you're going to have a situation where too many things are slipping through because that physical structure of that outside of that castle wall is damaged. And so when they come through, your backline guys are going to say, you're definitely in. If I bring you back to COVID, what we are looking at is that we do believe that a component, particularly of COVID, and particularly of some of these long haulers, are that we see these bacterial super infections that might be running sort of, um together um, i can't remember the word that you use so when you describe things that run um, alongside each other but you it's not just again it's not just the virus it's more the how the immune system is responding to the virus and whether through that response of immune activation oxidative stress and 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 inflammation we start to see problems with other co-infections that rise up and so the other thing to think about is that your, immune, your soldiers can only fight for so long before they, before they just become tired. And then you have an immune system that doesn't work as well as it should do. So that is a situation where you're looking at how do we rebuild and strengthen that immune system. So you've got this real balance to keep it really simple. You've got some people who, whose immune system are always overly aggressive and you want to try and tune that down a little bit. You've got people's immune systems who are just really just not doing the job at all. And you want to rebuild that up. But we're really looking for this sort of what we call this immuno, immuno balanced immune system. Fights when it needs to, but doesn't and stays calm and understands who's outside of the nightclub at the right time. So it doesn't overreact and it doesn't underreact. So that's giving you an understanding of what's happening from an immunity perspective. I think your question was, what else gets into that that is involved with with the winter? And why do we seem to have more problems in the winter? I think there's two ways to look at this very simply. Is that sunshine and heat tends to kill most viruses and infections. And so we just don't see as nearly as, as many viruses and infections through the summer. Um, and um, and um, um, and spring months. The other thing that we think is going on well, there's a couple of other things, but the main thing again, which is I think will be um, an, an easy and, and very solid takeaway for, for, for anyone listening, is that we do believe that vitamin D plays quite a major role in helping parts of the immune system do the usually not with optimal vitamin d levels and vitamin d has made fundamentally we think there's a receptor site for vitamin d on almost every cell in the body so it's going to do a lot but the key thing is you have to be stocking up through the summer so that you go into the winter with adequate vitamin d levels we know once we get to sort of october the sun, the latitude of, of where, where the sun is in the sky, it's not high enough to give you any vitamin D at all. Hmm. We know that once we get to November, you will only get vitamin C from the sunshine if you're if you're on the, the latitude of Lisbon. So if you want sunshine in the winter in November, you've got to go. You've got to go at least either to Lisbon or a south. To get any appreciable sunshine on that so the point about this is there's no vitamin d that we can gain in the winter you either have to get it from food which is pretty poor or you need to supplement if we look at the the population studies particularly in the uk over the last uh, sort of 10 20 years it's very clear to us that as a population humans are designed to be outside which is another key aspect of why running is so good Is because you're outside you're sort of filling to two stones in one in one go and humans have to have sunshine on them the other major caveat to that is that we will see with our patients that when we've done their genomic screens is that we'll see patients who not only aren't getting enough sunshine because they're not getting out in the summer they also have genetic predispositions that mean even though they do get sunshine on them the way their body converts the vitamin d to be utilized is poor And so we will have certain individuals that even if we get them out in the summer, we give them supplementation in the winter, because they've got sort of vitamin D genetic um, predispositions, we've got to be more consistently on top of them and maybe dose them supplementally through the winter. And so because vitamin D is, is really, again, the, again, if I bring it back to COVID, the the associations with vitamin D and with COVID are so strong that the government now is starting to recommend vitamin D for certain population groups. We've been saying that for years, but again, it is what it is. So, I think there's a, again there, there a couple of couple of major reasons why um, um, your immune system sort of gets. Um, I'm going to say degraded, but probably isn't as effective through the winter. And particularly, it tends to really kick off on the other side of Christmas. So January and February, with March, February, March being where again, we're going to have this big hit, for, this big hit of infection. And that could be strongly linked to at the times of the year that's most likely where your vitamin d has sort of been all used up by your body by the winter and you're most likely going to be at your most compromised state there's other aspects to this again from a point of view of how sunshine stimulates an opiate release on the skin as well so one of the major reasons why humans are happy in the summer is because um, sunshine on, on, on exposed skin directly stimulates opiate release. And so we're, if you like, we're getting, our, we're getting our drug dose from the sunshine. And that's one of the mechanisms why humans are really happy. So we're starting to look at, um, and this is, again, very interesting again, is because this will be one of the reasons why you will see individuals who, um, regardless of what they know about, don't, don't spend too much time in the sun, are almost sun worshippers, and they can't get enough of it. And we believe, and with those individuals, we might be seeing subsets of susceptible individuals who have snips around that how their body produce op- don't produce opiates as well. And so, are be- really, really sun lovers, not because they want the sun, but actually, unconsciously, their body is really in a really nice hit of opiates that they wouldn't get normally so there's some fantastic new sort of research and theories about getting an understanding about um why we love the sun and also why we have um problems in the winter so uh, hopefully that's sort of giving you a little bit of an explanation around over yeah you know too strong immunity is not good too weak an immunity is not good we're trying to find where the balance is understanding that when your immune system is consistently reacting there is going to be this peripheral damage that actually makes you more susceptible um for for disease processes as well
1: no that's amazing i think it's a some really key things like you said to define is what is our immune system which we covered um thank you for giving everyone the analogy of looking down my mouth and seeing out my bum well but. That's open space. That is the outside world that we have inside us, um, which is a huge, huge, uh, like you said, fortress that needs to uh, be sustained. Um, Something just clicked in my head from listening to other researchers and, and people around how vitamin D may be able to be stored in the fat stores and then is actually by utilizing that fat actually can release vitamin D. Maybe there's some kind of evolutionary thing around Knowing that the winter months are going to be less uh, sunshine rich and are storing up on those things during the winter may have some leaky thing into the wind. Sorry, in summer, does that leak into the winter, do you think?
0: Yeah. So uh, I suppose uh, uh, this is where we get these environmental cues. And, you know, one of them, uh, again, is, is that um, I suppose this is why, uh, if you like, in the animal kingdom, birds will will stock up on a lot of berries as they come into autumn. And and it's because, um, and I, I suppose the question is, why do fruits ripen at, at that appropriate time? Because it's it linked into the changes of the seasons and the diminishing light and, you know, humans and animals are, you know, are getting ready for the hard winter. What's quite interesting about vitamin D is that we know that actually the, the, the more body fat you have, the more difficult it is for you to metabolize vitamin D because the sort of evidence on a very simple term is that sometimes vitamin D it, like they use the words get sequestered in the fat cells. So it's a bit more difficult to actually sort of get it to where it needs to go. And so there's definitely evidence that the more overweight you are. And again, so two things to think about with vitamin D Were you would be worried about people would be overweight. Um, you would also be worried about darker skin. And so because, again, what we know, the reason why, so so skin color is a genetication. If we believe that we're, we're pretty clear on the evolutionary evidence is, is that we've all come from South Africa, um, all born to the same mom. So we're all related. But this journey of two to three million years, we were all we all had dark skin. But as we've mutated into Northern climates, obviously we don't get as much sun. So really it's important to go to the extreme, which would be very light skin and ginger hair. Why is that? It is What's happened over millennia is that these these populations have essentially the skin has had to mutate because where they're starting to live, they just don't get enough sunshine through the year. So they need a skin color that will dramatically increase their rate of absorption. And so that's what we see. And so if we, again, if we twist that around, that's why darker skins, northern climates, we believe on the evidence, they might need twice the dose that lighter skin population groups would, would, would want. And this is, again, another, another aspect of why the, the BAMI um population group is one of the risk factors with COVID as well and we do believe that that's one of the mechanisms that that can look at that it might be a good idea for me to talk about just some of the simple aspects of because again andre this is one of your questions to what extent does training boost the immune system yeah. and so uh, i again i'm going to do this from a point of view of general population because that's crucial but then i'll move it in towards where we are with regards to the endurance side and what we're learning So, and again, I I wrote about this actually at the end of April because I wanted to put a piece with regards to, given that we're on lockdown, it's absolutely crucial that we understand that some of the mechanisms to protect us against these viruses and stimulate our immune system because so it becomes more regulated um, is that exercise literally does all of it. So one of the things, let me just again, and I've got some notes, so I just want to give you some real sort of classical examples of um, population studies. So so if we look at viruses, uh, and particularly ones that generally affect runners, athletes, but again, looking at COVID, its entrance to most of these viruses would be upper respiratory tract, which again is where most athletes tend to suffer the most. Um, and, and of course, that's very much related to COVID. So if you look at all the many of the studies that's been done with regards to when they're comparing age and sex matched populations, and, and these studies have looked at the difference between upper respiratory tract infections between highly active groups and sedentary groups. So if you look at some of the studies, we can see that the magnitude of risk reduction with regards to the people who are physically active in some of the studies can be up to 50% so it's not a small figure it's uh it's pretty substantial now i suppose the question is what we're learning about well why is it what is it about physical activity that seems to give all this effect and so i want to use the analogy because again it's easier to, to when i'm speaking to patients it's easier to tell a story because it's easier to understand the complexity of the science is that there's a couple of things that that really matter number one this this ability to have a 50% risk reduction is dependent on whether you're consistently exercising. So that is something to think about. And when we think it's, again, when we're talking about exercise, moderate, consistent daily exercise is what's going to give you those results. On a very simple term, is that when you exercise, you increase your blood flow, and that allows that blood flow to get to the more peripheral areas. So in a sense, what we're seeing is exercise is producing increased blood flow that increases capillarization and allows more more of an, an interaction between the blood and the lymph and they interact more and then that allows it to be pumped around the body. So remember we talked about these barriers and border controls what essentially we're doing is allowing our immune system to have much more easy access to the M25 to go around the body to get to where potentially it's needed. And so that is definitely one of the aspects that we've learned that consistent modulation of exercise and increased blood, um, blood pressure and blood rate allows that to happen. You get this mobilization of your, your army. Your army gets shipped off to where it needs to get shipped off to so that it can have more a chance. They use the term immunosurveillance. So, you've got more chance of taking parts of your immune system to patrol around the borders. And so, we think that is absolutely one of the major aspects of why um, that works. What we're also seeing in from just from simple, sort of, you know, acute exercise bouts, we are seeing this, um, if you like, this increase of how exercise increases recruitment of immune cells as well. So it allows the immune system to to recruit um, more of particular types of cells, one of them called um, natural killer cells. And what it also does through consistent training, it's almost like training for your body, but it trains those immune cells to actually be more, the term we use is called cytotoxic. It means that they're actually, not, not only can they be more easily taken around to patrol, there'll be more of them and they will be more effective at doing their job. And so we know that that is something that sort of how exercise really allows your immune system to prime itself. And so we're definitely clear that that is something that is happening um, through consistent exercise. But as you say, the key is that consistent exercise is the key. What we're also looking at is that we're starting to find that some of these pro-inflammatory molecules that actually really do cause disease in, in many individuals. One of them, I'll give you an example, would be something like interleukin-6. We're actually seeing that interleukin-6 expression through exercise actually has this, rather than a pro-inflammatory effect, has an anti-inflammatory effect. So what we're seeing, and again, I need to use my term carefully here, moderate consistent daily exercise seems to be one of the primary ways that we prime our immune system It allows our immune system to patrol the boundaries much more effectively. It allows the interface between blood and lymph essentially just to almost like the motorways are more open, the more effective. And the consistent exercise is consistently training your immune system. So it's almost like every day they go off, they go off on practice. So when they actually Mm -hmm. come up to when they've got to do a job, they're ready. And so that's definitely something we're seeing. There's some really interesting research done on older population groups and with vaccines. So what we've seen on on older population groups is that if they do bouts of exercise before they get their vaccine, we're seeing a much more positive effect to how the vaccine works. And we think that is, again, because we're taking older population groups, and we're stimulating and giving them everything that exercise gives them. And it makes the vaccine more effective. So that is definitely something that we're seeing as well. But there is a caveat, of course. And that brings us into, if you like, the definition of what are we trying to do? Are we trying to be the performance runner or are we trying to modulate this because we're doing it from health? And again, me and Fletch had a quick chat about this this morning because, again, there is a mismatch of sometimes how we're reading the research. What we see, um, what we see on the evidence from a point of view of exercising too often, too intensively, there is potentially a risk that um, our immune system gets suppressed by that side. However, there is another caveat on this, of course, and this sort of the myth of exercise induced suppression is actually being, um, interestingly redefined because what we, what we tend to see from hard exercise is we'll see some inflammatory markers because obviously hard exercise damages the body and you can take it from me. If I could show you some of the blood tests that are coming in from, um, from some of the CrossFitters that we've um, had the pleasure of working with three or four days after particularly intense sessions, their body's a mess. So again, let me just redefine the exercise again. I think we, we we never see just some of the fundamental damage that can happen in from very high intensity exercise, because you're not going to be running a blood test three or four, three or four days afterwards. I mean, when we get it back, sometimes the, the lab panics and calls us and says, you better get this patient down to the ER room. I'm like, okay, it's okay. It's because they've done a massive workout, and we're seeing lots and lots of liver enzymes elevated. We're seeing creatine kinase in the five thousands, um, and because their body is fundamentally broken down from those exercise. Now, two things to think about: Does exercise strengthen, um, strengthen and make our immune system more primed to do its job? Absolutely. And as we just discussed and alluded to. With normal population groups, then moderate consistent exercise will what will stimulate that. I will reiterate that for or bring that into more athletic population groups. Where we, I see the mistake in practice for athletes is that they don't have a fundamental, fundamental good enough grasp. And I think this is where joining groups like Fletcher's, your group is important, is because people tend to not understand. Um, I suppose that the fundamentals about periodization and how gentle you've got to be about moving people up over time and how much we can expect them and their body to move up to a higher level without getting itself into trouble. So most of the people that we see are, um, have got themselves in trouble because they've trained too hard for too long and do other things like inappropriate sleep, which, again, if we're looking about... What are some of the best things that we could ever do to to help our immune system um, get to that prime position? So it's sort of really perfect almost is to make sure we're sleeping well Um, and minimum seven hours. Seven to nine seems to be the sweet spot. Again, the whole point about sleep, sleep allows everything to be recovered. And so we're definitely seeing in the science that the less sleep that we have, then the more likely our immune system isn't capable of regaining what it needs to get. So it can't go back to the ammunition stocks and stock itself of it. It can't. Its soldiers can't fill themselves up with a good meal, have a bit of a rest, have a cup of tea, because because they're not getting enough time to do that. So when we're looking at exercise and this is right throughout the, the year, but if we're looking at exercise and priming your immunity, sleep would almost be a number one thing to do. Um, so that is definitely something to do. And of course, this will probably run into a lot of your people who are running. They will be executives and they've, they've got probably high powered jobs and they've got a certain personality type, maybe more towards a type A personality. And so everything is push, push and push. And they will definitely get themselves into trouble. And so, again, it's, it's understanding probably a lot more of what is is pushing their immune system to be problematic in the first place. So again, being realistic about how much you think you can get out of your body, but importantly understanding that immunity and performance is this 360 picture. And if all you're doing is thinking about your strict periodization routine that you've written and you need to go from what you've written down and follow it exactly, even though that you're knowing that a bit like Fletch, you cannot be the same athlete when you've got babies, it's impossible because you can barely get through the day because you've got inappropriate sleep. You're highly stressed out. You maybe haven't eaten enough.
1: Preach that. Preach that. (laughs)
0: And so your immune system cannot do the job that it needs to because of all the external influences that are already influencing you at the same time. So I think from them, what's important is that you've got to, you can only push your boundaries if there are a lot of things in place for you to allow to do that. Because if you don't, you will be these populations and patients that we see that, if you like, consistently drag themselves almost through mud for a year, wondering why their performance is not improving, wondering why they feel as though they're sort of consistently living in this. As one athlete said to me, I just feel like I live in a twilight zone. You know, I don't feel well and my performance ain't great. And that, but the biggest risk for athletes, in our opinion, is that they've got to be really, they have a mindset. And look, you know, I would like to think I was an athlete, still trying to be an athlete. And the problem is, is that we don't know, it's the, the, the most important thing I've ever seen athletes that do well are the ones who heed to the messages. Because if you're like me, and don't heed to the message, you wonder why your joints are knackered, because you're still trying to roll on the mat with 20 year olds that you just no way you they're just harder stronger more physically fit than you or if you're a runner you consistently go out and you've done your the mileage that your periodization has told you to do on that week even though you get back and your knees are so hot and burnt and you feel sort of a bit down you have to heed what your body is telling you and that's saying maybe we need to sort of be more flexible with the training regime because we need to be more flexible with everything else that is happening around us because they are the things that are going to compromise immunity as you go forward so that is definitely something to think about
1: just to quickly pick up on a point there i think uh, is fantastic because we get told about intensity a lot we use an rpe scale as part of our so, running. Um, the word moderate can, uh, can kind of fulfil a number of sins, I'm sure, as we know. Someone can go out and do a 5K nice and relaxed uh, and call that moderate, and someone can do a 100-metre sprint once, walk away from that, never do it again, uh, but deem that hard. So is, is there a classification for what is moderate? So it's going to be it's a good question, Flex. Again,
0: moderate to a professional athlete is going to look very different to the weekend runner. And that's going to be dependent on again um exercise history and you know physical fitness so for moderate for me i i I like to use with our patients a sort of redefined rpe scale mate listen as you say i've had 30 years in the industry and you can get all fancy with technology but i still think rpe scale is difficult to beat if patients understand it because it's moderating what's beautiful about rpe It moderates where you are on that day. And I think that's key for me is that because then you're not relying on what's written on the paper. You're relying on today I'm going to look at what does a 7 out of 10 feel like? And some days, you know, 7 out of 10 when you're on it and you're feeling brilliant, you're going to be flying at quite high intensity at 7 out of 10. But you're going to have maybe... You know, two days of really poor and in, 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 um, um, sort of interrupted sleep. You go to do your run and seven out of 10 means that your pace is going to be significantly slower. So for me, RPE scale is a really great way of moderating intensity for the longer and bigger picture to get the results. So I love RPE scale. I still don't think there's anything still that beats it as far as sort of. And I would say. I still think it's highly sophisticated and, and you know, the highest form of, of, of um, artistry and, and, and um, knowledge is making things simple. And I think RPE allows you to do that and it gives you a lot of flexibility. So, as, as you say, we keep bringing this down to moderate. What we've also got to consider as well is that whether we have individuals who are solely after performance, because if I can give you all the examples of professional athletes that we've dealt with over the years, Professional people are generally not that healthy. so that's the other thing to consider. and they are pushing unnatural boundaries um, and everything is invested into that time. And so we're very clear from, from our experience is that a lot of professional athletes can do amazing physical things, but it wouldn't they wouldn't be people that we would define as healthy. So there's a big difference. So, and again, so when it comes to what are you trying to do, I think it's deciding, well, am I running for health and I want the whole health aspect around it? Or am I running from pure performance side? Because then you're absolutely asking a different question. I think we can look at sort of the, if you can look at the um, the, the debates that I think, the inappropriate debates that go on with regards to nutrition. And I think what happens on this, particularly for, for sports performance is I think that everything gets gets bundled into the same group and you know you've got athletes, some athletes um, saying oh well you know Kato's the way to go and again I don't know any professional team and the leading, world's leading sports scientists will all tell you the same thing. If you're working for performance carbohydrates are key at the top end. And again, the reason why that is, is because unless physiology has changed, carbohydrates are really the only fuel source that allow your muscles to do the job that they need to do at higher intensities. Yes, I think there's a, I mean, you can get into a long conversation about how you utilize your carbohydrates, because that's definitely changed. And you can, on certain days, train low, i.e. have low supply of carbohydrates. But if we're clear on the evidence, when you've got professional athletes, number one, your muscle, muscle cells need to be full of muscle glycogen for performance. But also when you're doing high intensity works and maybe you've got two sessions a day, you absolutely need to be fueled with carbohydrates. Not just for you being able to do that performance at high level, the carbohydrates have other functions as well. Number one, we seem to know that the optimal level of carbohydrates that are floating around the body seems to talk to the brain and reduce pain perception. We're very clear on that. And this is why sometimes even um, swilling a bit of um, cordial around your mouth and not swallowing it will stimulate the brain to have a lowered pain sensation. What we're also seeing is that, again, is that degree of and um, stressed hormone production after exercise is lower with optimal carbohydrate levels as well. So, again, swings and roundabouts, different reasons for different people. Um, and I think there is, a, again, there's a whole topic that could go on on that side. But what I'm going to do, because I'm just looking at the time, is that um, if it's OK, what I'll do is I'll bring this into what we're learning about immunity and how we want to do it from a nutritional perspective for athletes. So I'm going to start it on the basics and then get into a little bit more detail. Number one, you must be eating appropriate calories. So if you are undercaloried, unless there's a specific reason for do that, you won't have optimal performance. So there's a fine balance to find on that one. Too much, you're going to put weight on and that's going to compromise your run. Too little, it's going to compromise everything else. So again, that's finding the balance on that. We've discussed sort of carbohydrates, and I think that's another for for another time. We're very clear on the dietary aspects that if we want to give your main immune defenders the appropriate food, I'm going to let me just interject into a little bit, a little bit more about what we're understanding about humans. So humans are a a term we're using now. It's called halobians. And a halobian is a term that is used for a superorganism. And humans are superorganisms. Predominantly, they are slightly more bacteria than they are human cells. Now, a halobian is a term that says two different species that are occupying the same home for the good of both. So we have this relationship where humans are slightly more bacterial, slightly more bacterial cells than they are human cells. But we both occupy the same vehicle, the human body. And both are trying to make sure that we've got a great home to live with. So the bacteria that reside on you, predominantly in that gastrointestinal tract, are doing that for two reasons. Is number one, they help you determine the the assaults from the outside world. What they also do as well is that they create lots and lots of really good fuel for you. And this is what we're starting to see in the gastrointestinal literature. But that is dependent on if you wanna have a really healthy body, you must have healthy bacteria. If those bacteria are healthy, they will make your body healthy as well. But that's got a couple of caveats on it. Number one, they have to be fed the appropriate fuel. And all the literature is pointing towards a high plant food diet to be able to do that. So when we're looking at, you must have appropriate fatty acids, you must have appropriate protein, absolutely and you you must have appropriate carbohydrates within that structure. Those carbohydrates need to be high in fiber and a rainbow of color. One of the key aspects that we're looking from a point of view of, of immune health, but are the overall health indicators going forward, we have this thing that we call the microbial diversity index. So, the more the diverse your gastrointestinal tract is with different microbes and bacteria, the healthier that gut is. So the analogy is the difference between a rainforest and a field of corn. If a couple of species in the rainforest for some reason get attacked and die out, it, it's not a problem. But if you have a cornfield that gets attacked, everything dies out. And this is absolutely what we're representing in the human in the human microbiome. So the key on that is to make sure that you're doing your best from a point of view of immunity um, that from foods. A rainbow of color matters. So you're looking at different colors, different fibers, different textures. And there's a reason why they're different colors. It's because they are bringing something to you that you can't get from the other colors. And that's where the health matters. So here's the point. I get loads and loads of people who come to see us and they think they've got an amazing diet because they have um, salmon and broccoli daily. And I go to them, brilliant. But the reality is over time, this is not gonna feed all those other bacteria because there's not a diverse enough match. So if you're looking to develop immune robustness, if you're looking to to start to develop some of the major mechanisms that we're turning health for, you have to have a lot of fiber in your diet. You must be having microbial diversity from a rainbow of colors. Very simply, we say to our patients, your plate has to have lots and lots of colors on it. Because if it doesn't, and you're not rotating through different color groups, you're missing out on that side. Now, the other aspects I'd see from immunity, which are quite important, is making sure that your protein levels are very adequate. Because structural and functional aspects, particularly of the immune system, if it doesn't have enough proteins, it can't build other proteins. And so having enough protein is important. And again, there's another conversation there, but too little is no good for you. Absolutely. And that will undercut the sort of structural and functional aspects of uh, joint services, muscle um, readaptations, um, and again, generalised immunity. When we're looking at you from a point of view of some of the major vitamins and minerals, again, some key players: vitamin D, probably prime; vitamin A is is primed as well. What I would suggest on that. Um, is that a good quality multivitamin and mineral a day gives you that insurance policy. Um, And the reason why I say this is that we've had over two decades of experience with thousands of diets. Um, And not only do we have experience with it, we have the ability to test whether those diets are appropriate for those individuals. We've done thousands. There are a few things that is very clear to us is that we've had some of the on paper, some of the best diets that you could ever imagine to see. But we also have individuals that regardless of those diets are highly deficient. And there's two things on that, is that you have to know that what you put in your mouth doesn't necessarily represent what actually gets to the cells. And so it's not so much a question of my diet's great, it's a question of, well, that's good, that's the first point. The second point is, does that food get broken down effectively enough and then gets transported off to where it needs to go. In our experience, we see a high proportion of individuals where that just doesn't happen. There's a couple of mechanisms I would say. Stress is the overwhelming mechanism that drives that. And stress adversely affects the immune system. It also, stress adversely affects the way the digestive tract works. Because remember, digestion only really optimally occurs with rest. And digest. So you can't have rest, you can't have eat and answer that really stressful email that your boss has just sent you, which most individuals do, because your immune system is designed and your senses are designed for number one, it's all about how do I protect Fletch at this second. And because I've just had a stress response from that email, suddenly my fight or flight is up. Therefore, blood is transferred to different areas, digestion. Sort of shuts down. And I think that also leads us into if you're looking at how digestion is affected right at the top end with sports, I think that's another conversation. We're definitely seeing some quite significant damage and susceptible population, sporting population groups to gastrointestinal dysfunction, to um, immune responses um, because the gastrointestinal tract. And I'm not going to say all but dies. But when we look at the research, if you're doing two or three hours of training a day, at reasonably high intensity that some of these professional athletes will be doing, the blood gets diverted away from the gastrointestinal beds and goes to the muscle tissues. And we're very clear that, in a sense, things are all but just about holding on to life. Some of them are dying off. And that is definitely some of the susceptible aspects that we're seeing. I want it because I know where we are on with time. So. I just want to talk about one more thing, and that is we have this situation where we believe that there is a immunosuppressive aspect to exercise. Um, it, it, it's what is referred to, if you like, as the open window hypothesis, that, uh, that there is, a, there is a, a time frame after high intensity exercise where we see, um, where we believe that we might be more heightened to um, infections. the evidence suggests that we start to see some of the mucosal immune proteins like secretory iga or some of the white blood cells that are slightly depressed um, after exercise and this window might last for 48 hours that's currently being challenged and actually currently being challenged by a couple of researchers at bath university because what they are suggesting that's happening is actually it's not that the levels have dropped It's, as we discussed at the beginning, what we're seeing is more immunosurveillance. So actually, more of the army, uh, there's less of the army. Imagine all the army is on. Yeah, exactly. They're all on the M25 and then suddenly they've had a call to say, we think there's some action going on on these borders. Off you go. And so what we're seeing potentially is a reduction in some of these immune um, system molecules that have gone to the periphery. So that, again, is ongoing. It has been challenged, and that's challenging a lot of what we're learning with regards to or certainly having a really robust conversation about can excessive training, is it the excessive training that is causing the immunosuppression? There's a large argument that it's actually not. Um, and I can link you to that paper because that was a 20, 2018 paper, so there's probably going to be a follow-up on that, and I think that's a really nice paper for, for more serious athletes as well. So, um, I've got, I've got literally two minutes. So, because I've got to go on a, I've got to go on a five ten call and put a shirt on and pretend I'm looking all sort of um, specialist like. So, um, do you want? I, I know we didn't talk about everything, so I apologize. I'm more than happy to to continue a conversation at a, at a later time. But do you want to ask me one more question, Andrea? Um, I. <sighs> I've got I've got one question about training kit but I wonder if that's a bit too long for you to to cover now um but you've covered most of our questions anyways and it's you know brilliant super clear super useful so I think we can end it here and okay then- okay because as you say sorry about that if I've had a bit more time I can wax more yeah, about a lot of stuff so look i'm very happy to uh I'll link you into that that nice article I did I'll also link you to that scientific paper that will be really helpful and and by all means again if you want to approach this again we can do another call and um, i'm very happy to uh because it's good training for me you know the the key for me is that you've got to be able to translate all this into simple science so people get the story otherwise Mm -hmm. they forget what was he on about? I can't really get it. So <laughs> the stories matter. So the M25 and all that sort of. Sort
1: of yeah, matters. no, I think it's a massive, massive part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to put that complicated, almost from a, from a, a outsider's point of view, looking at a paper going, this is just jargon. Mm -hmm. and like you said some of those words with numbers at the end i remember algebra when i was younger what the are you talking about (laughs) those kind of things taking that and making it simple is really important and what we've established today is the is the conversation is a lot more complex than put that hat on because you're going to get a head cold um that's that's the kind of myth i think at the minute that we've already pre (laughs) pre pre-busted is that your immune system is so much more complex than we even thought or know right now, and it's still yeah, being and,
0: Yeah, and to be fair, no one really knows what's going mm. on, and I think this is what COVID has exposed: is that we sort of think we know what we're talking about, and to be fair, we don't. And <laughs> wow. so, so I think uh, I think the other thing on that is that you've got to give the scientists a bit of a break. I think people have been really harsh on them. They've done an amazing job so far, but you—that's what it's difficult to, to try and get over to patients. So when patients come to see you, is that they're expecting you to have all the answers for them, and you don't. And you've got to be very really clear to saying, look, here's here's our best guesstimates of what we think we understand. But, you know, as I said to you, you know, some of the terminology we use around immunity is just wrong because for most people, their immunity is already too aggressive, and that's the problem. It doesn't need strengthening anymore. Geez, it needs calming down.
1: I think that's and going to be a so, whole podcast on, on its own. Yeah, <laughs> that'd you know, know, that'd be it fantastic. really is
0: a question of, you know, and, and there are some things that are some strategies that you can look at that, sort of, you know, it, 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 I suppose, you know, if you're getting every, literally, you're, a, you're an athlete that feels as though you're getting literally every cold around, then you would assume that that would be an immune system that needs strengthening. But you can also have an immune system where, you know, you are, you are prone to allergies or, you know, prone to other diseases like autoimmunity, where generally that is an immune system that's just too aggressive. And it's always switched on. And then suddenly you get this immunity that sort of gets confused about whether your body is self and then starts attacking it because it just loves to scrap and it doesn't want to switch off. And so, as you say, you've got every every individual, every individual runner will have their own unique signature of what their immune system looks like. And so we can't treat everyone the same. There are definitely some things that we know, like, make it, you know, I would suggest to everyone that... You should have your vitamin D tested twice a year. It's cheap as chips to do. You can do it on yourself. You know, 25 quid a test. Easy. Um, mm-hmm. And then at least you're having you're being a bit more um, objective with your markers on that and your dosing. So, again, something very similar, easy to do. I mean, we test our patients three times a year because we think it's so vital that we understand. And therapeutically, it's a big intervention and it's cheap. So, you know, it's 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 a no-brainer as far as I see it. So they would just be, again, un- understanding what allows us to modulate with regards to bigger populations, but understanding that each one of your runners is going to have an immunity that actually works in a slightly different way. And that will be their genes and the sort of life course that's brought into this. And training and sleep and work stress <laughs> and financial stresses and babies will all come into the mix to sort of, to give you a bit of a hard time sometime.
1: Love it. Guys, I've got to run.
0: So, I'll, I'll look forward to the next mm. one.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. I think this is going to be uh, I think it's going to be a series Do <laughs> <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. Cheers, really guys. appreciate your time. Cheers, mate.
0: No worries. See you Cheers.
1: later. Hi guys thank you so much for tuning in that was pete williams from the functional medicine associates in central london he's going to be doing a couple more calls with us at some point in the future but if you have any questions or comments or uh, anything around the subject please feel free to reach out to us or to him uh, on instagram facebook uh, every possible social media avenue you can think of and we will look forward to hearing from you soon bye bye